Well, politically, it's been a red-letter week. No doubt, some of us are excited about the new health care plan, while others of us fear that the Founding Fathers are rolling over in their graves. What concerns me, though, is what I've been hearing online all week long among Christians about what's been going on politically. I don't have a problem with Christians being political. I don't have a problem with Christians having political opinions. I don't have a problem with Christians being politically passionate or being politically active. But what does concern me is the number of Christians that I've heard this week that have acted like what happened last Sunday was either a defeat or a victory for Christ and His kingdom. I fear that many of us as Christians have begun to follow the lead of the mainstream denominations thinking that somehow, because we are a church and because we are Christians, that demands a certain kind of political outlook. I fear that as Christians, we're beginning to think that we should fall in lockstep with the evangelicals and the ecumenicals and be political because we're Christians. We must not be led by the religious right. And we must not be led by the religious left. We must not be led by the political machines that so many are turning churches into today. God has given us His Word. And this is what we're supposed to be led by. This is what we are about. This is where we need to focus. And I'm concerned that with all the political things that are going on today, sometimes we begin to lose our focus. As we begin to confuse politics with spirituality and the Constitution with the Bible. I'd like for us to talk about a few biblical principles that I think we need to keep in mind as we are citizens also in an earthly kingdom in an earthly nation. I'm going to share with you, some of you have heard me preach on political issues before, and so some of you know probably some of what's about to come, but I'm just going to be forthright and upfront and let you know that probably some of the things I'm going to say this morning, some of you just aren't going to like very much. And all I'm going to ask is that you at least give me a fair hearing on this, because what I think I'm going to share with you is what the Bible says that we need to be considering. I just want to share with you some biblical principles that I think we need to make sure are at the center and foundation of what we're doing, not only as churches, but also as Christians. I'd like to share some of these with you. Before we get into that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we love you so much, and we're so thankful that you have loved us. We're thankful that you sent your Son to die for us. We're thankful for the Word that you've given us. We're thankful for the Spirit. We're thankful for all that you have done, for forgiveness, for redemption. We're thankful that we can carry your message to others and that we can make disciples in all nations. We pray that you would give us strength to do that. Help us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Help us to begin right here where we are, preaching the gospel and making disciples of those who are around us. 
Father, we pray that the borders of your kingdom will be spread. And we pray that you will help use us to accomplish that. Help us to get your message out. Help us to talk to folks and to understand how we can spread your message so that others can become your children and can be forgiven. Have their sins washed away and they can be with you forever in heaven. Father, help us to have a proper perspective. Help us to have open hearts and minds to your word. And Father, I pray that above all, you will help us to be united, no matter what our view of politics and and the votes that are going on and all the stuff that's going on in our world. Help us to be united around your son and his death and the message of salvation in him. Father, we love you so much and we thank you for loving us. Through your son we pray. Amen. The very first thing I need to do, I guess, is provide at least a little bit of a caveat for this entire lesson. I do want to point out, because I don't want anybody coming up to me afterwards saying, yes, but Edwin, it is okay for us to have a political opinion, because I believe that. It is okay for you to be political. It is okay for you to have a political opinion, for you to be involved in political activity. I believe that God allows political activity. I don't want to sound like somebody who's going to say that, well, if you have a political opinion or if you go to a political rally, you've denied God and you're worried about things that you shouldn't be worried about. I'm not saying that at all. I believe that God allows us to be involved in our government. He allows us to be involved in the political process. I think the Scripture demonstrates that that is the case. I think about John the Baptist. When he stood before Herod in Mark chapter 6, in Mark chapter 6, and I believe it's about verse 18, he stood before Herod and he rebuked him. But he did not rebuke him for being involved in government. He rebuked him for immorality because he had his brother's wife. And I think about when John the Baptist preached again in Luke chapter 3. In Luke chapter 3. And folks would come up to him and ask what they should do. In Luke chapter 3 and verse 12, tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. Here were tax collectors and soldiers. These are people that were involved in government, government jobs. And John didn't tell them that to repent they had to leave those jobs. In fact, when he told the tax collectors to collect what they were authorized to and only that, and he told the soldiers not to extort but to be satisfied with their wages, that was tacit approval of their jobs. He didn't say, don't be satisfied with this job, go get another one. He said, be satisfied with your wages. The only way they could be satisfied with those wages is if they kept doing that job. You see, John didn't tell, tell people they needed to get out of government jobs or they couldn't be involved in anything that was political. I think about Paul in Acts chapter 24. In Acts chapter 24, Paul stood before Felix, governor of Judea. In Acts chapter 25, he stood before Festus and he preached. In Acts chapter 26, before Herod Agrippa, tetrarch of Galilee. Three times he had opportunity to talk to these guys about government involvement and he didn't. He just talked to them about Jesus Christ and the salvation that they could have in him. He didn't rebuke them for their government involvement or for their politics. He just talked to them about Jesus. Again, I think we see that God is fine with people who are involved in politics and government. And in fact, Romans chapter 13 and verse 1. In Romans chapter 13 and verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. I find it really hard to claim that the governing authorities are established by God, but then to turn around and say that Christians can't be a part of that. That, that somehow God would establish this, but Christians have to stay out of it completely. I just would have a really hard time saying that. So I think what we see here is God does allow us to be political. 
I'm not telling you, and I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't have a political opinion, that you're not allowed to voice a political opinion, that you're not allowed to be active in politics. I'm not saying that at all. In fact, I believe that you are allowed to be passionate about political things and about our government, whether on a local level or on a national level. I think you're allowed to do that. If you want to be a part of rallies or tea parties or, or, or uh, conventions or whatever it is that you want to be involved in, that's okay. I think God allows us to be passionate about things. But we need to understand that politics are not kingdom work. You know, God allows us to be passionate about things that aren't kingdom work. God, might allow, God allows us to be passionate about educating our children. And so some people, like Gene Perrin, have been a teacher most of their lives. And that's great. Some people are passionate um, about helping folks. And so they become nurses or doctors. Sarah's a nurse. Some folks are passionate about different causes. Zaliski's passionate about helping children with autism. And parents who found out that their children have autism. They've even started the Brown Center. And these are great things for us to be involved in. And our relationship with God should govern everything we do, no matter what we are involved in. But we understand that teaching math, I can be passionate about that, but teaching math is not kingdom work. I think that's the same thing that we need to understand about the political sphere. We can be passionate about that, but that's not kingdom work. Being passionate about having a law passed is not a victory for God's kingdom or having a law defeated. Some law that you don't like, if it gets passed, that doesn't mean God's kingdom has been defeated. It doesn't mean that we've lost some battle because those aren't our battles on the spiritual sphere. I do want us to understand that God allows us to be involved in this, but He hasn't commanded it, and it's not part of our spiritual work in the kingdom. You see, the thing that we need to understand is that God didn't ask for a Christian nation. God did not send Jesus to die so that America could be a Christian nation. We are all up in arms because our president told somebody that we're not a Christian nation. And I, I don't know what your view of a Christian nation might be and, and what why that might bother you, but the fact is we need to understand that I don't think that it really bothers God to find out that a nation is not a Christian nation because God didn't send Jesus to create Christian nations. God sent Jesus to create Christians. And we need to remember that. I think part of the problem is, is that under the Old Covenant, God did have a nation. God had Israel. And it was a civil, national people that had civil law, moral law, spiritual law. And somehow we, even though we are among the staunchest to tell people that there is a distinction between the new covenant and the old, have brought that part of the old covenant into our national politics. When God established the new covenant, He gave up that concept of having a earthly, physical, material nation. In fact, look in Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 26, he said, At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken 
That is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. When he's talking about something being shaken out of the way, he's talking about that old covenant kingdom. He's referencing the coming destruction of Jerusalem, that judgment that would come upon them and shake out the earthly kingdom so that God's spiritual, heavenly kingdom, which we have received, may remain. Brothers and sisters, I am concerned if you and I get too caught up in thinking that our politics are about having God's kingdom protected as an American nation, we're going to be accepting a kingdom that can be shaken and giving up the kingdom that cannot be shaken. Brothers and sisters, we are part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It does not matter who attacks. It does not matter what weapons they use. God's kingdom cannot be shaken. But brothers and sisters, understand this. One day, the United States of America will fall. I don't care what we think about our nation. I love my country. I don't want it to fall. But do we honestly think we're going to be the first physical kingdom in the world's history to last forever? Either the end of the world is going to come or this nation is going to fall someday. But God's kingdom will continue on. And we need to understand that whatever happens in America and whatever happens to the American nation, that's a patriotic thing and we're allowed to have feelings about that, but that's not a Christian thing. When America falls, it will not be a defeat for Christianity. It will not be a defeat for Christ's kingdom because Christ didn't die to make sure America lasted forever as a Christian nation. If God had wanted Christian nations, he had an entire New Testament in which he could have pointed that out. But you know, there's not one single thing in here that says, Paul, here's how to make Rome a Christian nation. He didn't expect Rome to be a Christian nation. When men turned Rome into the Holy Roman Empire, that was man's work. That wasn't God's work. God didn't expect England to be a Christian nation. And God did not send Jesus to die so that the United States of America would be a Christian nation. He sent Jesus to die so that we could be saved and so that we could teach others how to be saved. Do you remember what Jesus said about his kingdom in John chapter 18 and verse 36? In John chapter 18 and verse 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would stand up and fight that I might not be delivered to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. But we get on Facebook and Pleonast and the Internet and our blogs and we complain and and get upset and argue and fuss with one another as if God's kingdom is of this world and it's the American nation. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my my citizens would do earthly things to accomplish my will. They'd stand up and fight. Today, I think if Jesus were saying that, he'd stand up and say, "If if my kingdom is not of this world, if it was, my citizens would stand up and vote to make sure my laws got enacted. But that's, that's not what this is about. My kingdom is not of this world. First Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. We are a people. We are God's chosen, holy nation. Not because we are Americans, as great and awesome as that is, but we are God's chosen, holy nation because we are in Christ. And it doesn't matter what earthly kingdom we're a part of. There are, there are Russians who are a part of our holy nation. There are Mexicans who are a part of our holy nation. There are French folks and African folks and, and Nigerians who are a part of our holy nation. Because it doesn't take being an American to be a part of God's chosen people. It takes being a child of God through Jesus Christ. And that is the nation we are a part of. And that is the nation that Jesus wants us to fight for. In His way. Philippians 3, verse 20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven. Brothers and sisters, Jesus did not die to make Christian nations. Jesus died to make Christians. No matter what nation they're a part of. God never asked us to spread His gospel through political means. So listen to some of the chatter that's going on on the Internet this week among Christians. You would think that we ought to be able to turn to any page in our New Testament and find some kind of directive to go out and make sure that our President and our Congress pass laws that support God's moral will. I, have, I offer you a challenge. Please find one single passage that actually asks us to do that. Not once has God ever asked His people to spread His gospel through political means. Somewhere along the line, the evangelicals and the ecumenicals decided that the real purpose behind the church was to make sure that laws got enacted that they felt like were in favor with God's will. Now, on the surface, that sounds wonderful. Do you know what kind of government the Christians were under when this thing got written? Anti-God, anti-Christian, and not once did God tell anybody to do anything about that. Not once. I'll tell you what God did say. In Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 19. We've all heard the Great Commission. Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Make disciples of all nations. That's, that's not saying make the nation a disciple. It's saying make disciples from all nations. Go into all nations and make disciples there. Whether it's America, whether it's England, whether it's Russia, whether it's Cuba, it doesn't matter. Go there and make disciples there. That's what God has asked us to do. In Mark chapter 16, Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, and He said, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. He does not say, Go into all the world and make them democracies. 
He doesn't say go into all the world and make sure that their laws are opposed to homosexuality and abortion. He says go into the world and make people disciples. That's what he says we're supposed to do. That's how we spread the borders of his kingdom. That's how we spread his gospel. By teaching his will to another person. That's what God has asked us to do. He has not asked his churches and he has not asked his children to spread his will through political means. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 15. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 15, Paul did not write how beautiful are the feet of those who have a certain political opinion. He did not say how beautiful are the feet of those who vote a certain way. He said how beautiful are the feet of those who teach the gospel. That's what he wants us doing. He wants us out spreading the gospel. That's how we get his will passed to other people. Not by making sure laws are a certain way. Listen, I'm all for, I, I would prefer our laws to correspond with Scripture. I'm all for that. I, I don't have a problem with you voting that way, but we just need to understand that's not what God said our Christian work was. He hasn't asked us to spread His will through the laws of our nation. He's asked us to spread His will by teaching other people. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, as Paul is trying to help Timothy leave behind a Christian legacy to make sure that another generation will be able to hear the gospel of Jesus, he did not say, make sure that laws are enacted to accomplish this. In 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2, he said, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's what we need to be doing. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, as Peter wanted to remind folks of of their faith and how they should live and how they should serve God. He did not say he was going to make sure that laws were enacted to uphold Christian morals. He said in 2 Peter 1 and verse 12, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able to at any time to recall these things. He's talking about his very own teaching. He's talking about the writing of this letter. That's how they spread the gospel. I know this is not common religious wisdom today. And I know that many of our religious friends are all in a frenzy because of politics and how they think it has something to do with Christ's kingdom. Brothers and sisters, that is just not what God has asked us to do. It is not a victory for God when some law that we like gets passed. It is sad to me that abortion is legal in our nation. It's repugnant to me. But we can campaign and we can vote, and we can get representatives in, and they can change that law, and it will not be a victory for Jesus Christ. Not one single person will be saved because of that. Not one! And I'm going to encourage you to take a look at how you voted. Has anybody been saved because of your vote? It's easy to go in and vote, but if we want a victory for Jesus Christ, we need to take that gospel message to somebody who will hear it and change and decide not to get an abortion no matter what the law is. Is it a victory for Jesus Christ that our laws say it's wrong to murder and steal? No. 
I mean, I'm glad that those things are illegal. But the fact that it's like that doesn't mean that we're okay. The victory is getting that gospel to somebody who's thinking about murdering and stealing and they change their lives because they've heard the gospel. Not because some law of man said don't do this. Our job is to get the gospel to people. And God has never asked us to do that through political means. Brothers and sisters, the Constitution is not the Bible part two. We do not have the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the Constitution Testament. I have heard things online this week that concern me greatly. I've heard about our God-given rights are being challenged. And what that's saying is, well, you know, our Declaration of Independence says that we have rights from our Creator. Unalienable rights of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. I love our Declaration of Independence, and I love that line. We talk about our Constitution. Our founding fathers could not get the Constitution ratified until they added the Bill of Rights. And it protected our rights to assemble, to practice religion the way we want to. It protected our rights of free speech. It protects our rights of, of judge and jury of our peers and speedy trial and our right to bear arms. But I, I want to issue another challenge. Please find me one verse in the Bible that says God has given us those rights. Not one. There's not one verse that says that. Brothers and sisters, those are not God-given rights. Those are government-given rights. And I am very happy to be in a nation that says those are the rights we have according to our government. I'm glad for that. I want to protect that. But that's a political thing. That's not a spiritual thing. The Constitution is not the Bible Part 2. One of the greatest debates we have today, and I love to be in this debate. I, I love to talk about how we should read the Constitution. And I love to talk about how we should defend the Constitution. But that's not the same as talking about how do we defend God's will. The Constitution is not divine, and it is not divinely inspired. It did not come from God. Men who we all think, or most of us think, were pretty smart, sat down and decided how they thought was the best way a nation should be governed. And I kind of like what they came up with. I like to defend that. And I'm happy that there are people like Jim who have spent their life defending that because I believe in that politically. But that is not a Christian spiritual thing. The Constitution could be destroyed our nation could throw it away, and they could govern our nation in any way they want to, and we could still be Christians, and we could still do God's will, and we could still spread His gospel, and Jesus' kingdom would still be on top. God never said the Constitution is how a nation should be governed. And God has never once said anything about how we're supposed to read and interpret the Constitution. He has not ever once said that. We must not act like the way people interpret the Constitution determines whether or not they're a child of God. That's just not a part of the Scripture. Some folks turn to Romans 13, verse 1, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And they say, see, 
Our government is here because God established it. That means these rights are by God's providence, so we better believe in them and defend them because that's, that's what we have to do as Christians because God gave us these. That's a very myopic view of Romans 13 and verse 1 because that passage does not say, let every person be subject to the American authorities, for there's no authority in America except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God through the Constitution. It doesn't say that. Do you realize this is actually talking about every nation that has ever existed? It does not just talk about our governing authorities. It doesn't talk about the government of Obama or Reagan or, or Bush or Clinton. It talks about the government of Nero. It talks about the government of Hitler. It talks about the government of Stalin. It talks about the government of uh, Castro. This passage is not saying that because a government is in existence, everything it's doing is right. All it's saying is, if a government is in existence, it's because God's letting it be there. You need to surrender to it. You need to submit and obey its laws. Except for, of course, when it asks you to disobey God. This is not saying that everything our government does is right, and we need to be defending it because we're Christians. That's not what it's saying at all. I love our Constitution, and if you want to argue about the Constitution or talk about it or how we're supposed to interpret it or what some of those rights mean, I'd be happy to talk with you about that. But brothers and sisters, that's a political discussion. It is not a spiritual discussion. Is not. In my knowledge, God only once has ever expressed one political opinion. One. There are a myriad of political debates that we have today. We can argue about taxes. We can argue about health care. We can argue about abortion. We can argue about marriage. We can argue about immigration. We can argue about the environment. We can argue about homosexuality. We can argue about term limits. We can argue about all manner of things. And Christians can find a number of things to argue about in the political realm with each other. That's very sad. But to my knowledge, not once did God in Scripture ever voice a political opinion about any one of those things. Not once. Not once has he ever said anything about what law a nation should have about any one of those things. To my knowledge, there's only one place in Scripture where God reveals anything about what we should be bent out of shape about or concerned about or worried about enough to do anything about. And that's found in First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Of all the political things that Paul could have been worried about, Rome was a mess. Abortion was common. They killed kids after they were born. Homosexuality was common. Idolatry was rampant. Even emperor worship. Talk about an anti-God government. In Rome, they wanted you to worship the emperor. But what did God, through Paul, tell folks to be concerned about? That our governing leaders will enact laws that allow us to live peaceable, quiet, godly lives. Just as Alan prayed this morning. That we would have laws that would allow us to continue to assemble laws that would... You know, what's interesting is that during this time, they didn't have that. They were being persecuted a lot of the time. This is what they were told to do. And what were they told to do? They were told to pray. They weren't told to rise up in insurrection. They weren't told to go appeal to Caesar to change laws. They were told to pray. The one thing that God found politically worthwhile to talk about is that we pray 
that our government will allow us to continue to live peaceful, godly, quiet lives. And right now, God's saying yes to that prayer because we're allowed to do that. I know there's a lot of people that get mad at us and there's a lot of people that say bad things about us and a lot of us are afraid that that's going to be taken away and it might. But right now, we're still getting to do that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning at verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. We don't wage war according to the flesh. What Paul is talking about is as we're trying to spread the gospel, as we're trying to help people be saved by Jesus Christ, we don't do that through all these fleshly means. We don't take up arms. We don't take up swords. We don't take up governmental, political means to try to accomplish that. God's only ever expressed, to my knowledge, one political opinion. That's where we need to be focusing our real concern if we're talking from a spiritual standpoint. The final thing I hope we can understand is that God expects us to unify and unite around principles greater than politics. One of the things that most amazes me about the Bible story is the group of men that Jesus gathered together around him to leave behind and spread his gospel, to establish his church, and teach the message of salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that most amazes me is that within that group of men, you had Matthew, a tax collector, and Simon, the zealot. We may not recognize this today, but those are political things. Matthew, the tax collector, a Roman sympathizer, somebody who did not have a problem with the Roman occupation, in fact, was making money because of the Roman occupation. And on the other end of the spectrum, you had Simon the Zealot, somebody who was so incensed by Roman occupation that he was willing even to be involved in insurrection because that's what Zealots did. They didn't get to vote back then, so they took out swords and they killed people. I've read the gospel several times, and not once does it seem to me that when Simon and Matthew came among the group of disciples that they had to change their political opinions. Can you imagine what kind of political conversations those two might have had? I mean, Matthew would be the kind of guy that Simon would have killed before. What kind of political conversations they had about the Roman occupation? It doesn't seem that they had to change that. Matthew didn't have to become a zealot. Simon didn't have to become a Roman sympathizer. Jesus expected them to unite around something that was more important than the Roman occupation. He expected them to unite around him as the Messiah who came to die so that everybody could be saved, whether they liked Rome or not. I heard yesterday about Christians befriending each other on Facebook over their opinions on this health care thing. I'm just going to tell you that is ridiculous. That is ridiculous. 
God expects us to unite around something greater than whether health care is privatized or nationalized. God doesn't care how we get our health care. God cares about our soul's care. He sent Jesus to die for us. Satan is happy to get us to divide over anything and everything he possibly can. You know, the reality is God doesn't care what college you went to. He doesn't care what college you're rooting for. You realize that you can be a fan of Tennessee or Vanderbilt. James, you can be a fan of Alabama. Go to heaven. But Brent, you can be a fan of Auburn and go to heaven too. God doesn't care. But you know what? Satan is happy to get us to divide over that sort of thing and cause us to think less of each other over that sort of thing. God doesn't care what kind of car you drive. You can drive a Chevy. You can drive a Ford. You can drive a Nissan or a Honda. You can drive American-made. You can drive foreign-made. God doesn't care. But I tell you what, Satan is happy to get us to divide over that sort of thing. He's happy to get us mad at each other because we have a difference of opinion over what's the best car and where we should buy it from. Satan's happy to get us to divide over that. You know what? God doesn't care what kind of computer you use. I'm allowed to be a Mac, though. You're allowed to be a PC. It's okay. God doesn't care. But Satan is happy to get us to divide over that and to get us to think less of each other because of those kind of things. And I'll tell you what. God doesn't care what political party we're part of. If he did, he'd have said something about it. Democrats can be Christians. Republicans can be Christians. Libertarians can be Christians. Brothers and sisters, even socialists can be good Christians. You realize that none of the apostles were Republicans or Democrats, right? Not one of them. They weren't even believers in democracy. But they were pretty good Christians who served God and were saved in the end. Satan would be happy to divide us over these things. And get us to think less of each other and not be friends. But Jesus died to unite us around something that is far more important than the Constitution and health care. He died so that we could be united around God's love for us and His salvation through Jesus. And it doesn't matter what our government ever does or what it ever becomes. That is still the message we should be teaching. And that's why we're here. We're not here to vote for abortion or against health care or whatever it is that... Against abortion, against health care. Whatever side you want to take on any of those things, that's not why we're here. What we're here for... To help people come to Jesus Christ so their lives will be changed. That's why we're here. We must not, as a church or as individual Christians, have a hook stuck through our nose and led about 
by the politically religious. As they turn church buildings into town halls and pulpits into political platforms and politics into spirituality. I am happy for you to have a political opinion. I'm happy for you to have one that's even different from mine. Although politically, I think you're wrong. But I don't think it will impact your soul. I'm happy to have those discussions with you. But brothers and sisters, when we're defending America, we're not defending Christ's kingdom. When we're defending the Constitution, we're not defending the Bible. That's, that's something else. And we need to keep them separate. I don't care what the world does. Jesus died for us to save people, not pass laws. And if we really are concerned about the direction our country is going, you want to know the best way to do something about it? Go invite your neighbor to be here next Sunday. 